Hello and welcome to Between the Lines, the podcast that introduces you to some of Canada's lesser-known authors and writers who have either yet to begin or have just begun to make their mark on the writing world. In this season, our third, we will focus solely on Canadian poets and their poetry. Some of my guests have already been published, either self or traditionally, while others have yet to take that plunge. I think it is not only important to give each and every one of them an equal opportunity to be discovered, but to be heard as well. I'm your host, Randy Lacey, and I invite you to join me between the lines. Well, we've just about come to the end of another year and another season of Between the Lines, the podcast. It wasn't the season I was hoping it would be, and I will take full responsibility for this. After dealing with a couple of health issues that I considered serious, and a mid-season break that saw my interest in the podcast wane somewhat, I stopped seeing the value in what I was doing, and for those whom I was doing it for. So, to those of you who faithfully listen, or listened at all, my humble apologies. Before we can fully close out Season 3, however, there is a little matter of the Christmas bonus edition. I don't know if something has changed since the end of Season 2, where we had a plethora of people wanting to contribute their Christmas stories, poems, songs, or what have you. This year, we saw a little less enthusiasm, but we did get some. Whatever the reason, whatever the cause, we shall go forth. But one last thing needs to be taken care of before we do. From Between the Lines and your host, me, Randy Lacey, We want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. And so now, without further ado... Magic. With snow falling gently and lights on the tree. With ornaments shining, some made by me. With decorations around, some old and some new. And favorite books of the season we wait for the year through. That touch of bright magic glints in the air. You don't see, but you feel it. Know that it's there. In the ribbons and bows, holly and boughs, in the carols we sing, joy is about. In the warm glow of lights on packages packed, to bring joy to others, our thought and love wrapped. In the stockings we hang, they get filled like a trick. In the cookie plate crumbs, that mean magic exists. In the moments we sit, just looking up at the tree, the lights glowing soft, it's Christmas magic we see. In the heart of a small town nestled beneath a blanket of freshly fallen snow, the holiday season was in full swing. Decorated trees glistened with lights, and the air was filled with the sound of cheerful carolers. The Duncan family was right in the midst of it all, bundled up in their winter coats, shopping for the perfect gifts to celebrate the upcoming Christmas. As the sun dipped below the horizon, a biting cold settled over the town. The Duncan family, consisting of Emily, John, and their seven-year-old daughter, Lily, 
were making their way back to their car after a successful evening of shopping. They passed by a dimly lit alley, and there, huddled against the bitter chill, sat a man with a tattered coat and a cardboard sign that read, Anything helps. God bless. Lily's eyes locked onto the men, his face etched with a profound sadness. His eyes carried the weight of the world, and the chill in his bones seemed to have seeped into his very soul. She tugged at her parents' coats and asked in a soft voice, Mom, Dad, can we help him? He looks so cold and sad. Can we bring him home for Christmas dinner? Her parents exchanged glances, touched by their daughter's compassion. Are you sure, Lily? John asked, kneeling down to her eye level. We don't know anything about him. I know, Dad, Lily replied, her voice filled with innocence and a hint of determination. But the Bible says we should show hospitality to strangers. Who knows, maybe he needs some warmth and love for Christmas. Emily and John exchanged another look, then nodded in agreement. They approached the men, who looked up in surprise as they offered a helping hand. Sir, would you like to come home with us for Christmas dinner? Emily asked gently. Tears welled up in the man's eyes as he accepted their offer. Thank you, ma'am, thank you, he whispered, his voice trembling. With the stranger in tow, they arrived home. Lily watched with wide eyes as her parents prepared a warm meal. The man, whose name was David, shared stories of his life, the hardships that had led him to the streets, and the hope that he once held dear. As they sat around the table, their laughter and love filled the room, warming not only David's heart but also the hearts of the Duncan family. The true spirit of Christmas, the spirit of compassion, generosity, and love, had filled their home. After the meal, David stood up to leave, his eyes filled with gratitude. Thank you, all of you, he said. You've shown me the real meaning of Christmas. I'll never forget this night. With a smile, he stepped outside and disappeared into the cold night. The Duncan family watched him go, feeling as if they had received a gift just as precious as any they had given. They had entertained an angel, unaware of his true nature, but the angel had tested their kindness and found their hearts full of love. Christmas morning arrived, and Lily woke up to find a small, radiant angel ornament on the table. Attached to it was a note that simply read, you entertained an angel without realizing it. The Duncan family came to understand that the stranger they had invited into their home on that chilly night was indeed a divine messenger sent to test their kindness. It was a Christmas they would never forget, a lesson in the true meaning of the season, a time for compassion, love, and the warmth that comes from welcoming those in need. And so, in the heart of that small town, the spirit of Christmas lived on, passed down from one generation to the next, a reminder that love and kindness are the greatest gifts of all. For several years near Christmas time, some unknown person or persons decorate a live tree growing close to our county road. There are many small fir trees growing in the ditches in our neighborhood, escapees from the dense woods in the river valley, or between the farms above the river, or in the gullies carrying seasonal streams down to the Little Red Deer River. This seasonally decorated tree is always small, less than 10 feet tall, and standing alone. With decorations only up to about the 5 foot level, it tells me the decorators are children, or perhaps elves. In other years, the rogue Christmas tree has been on the west side of the one-lane bridge over the river. This year's tree is on the east side above the bridge just before the road curves down to the river. Significant? I have no idea. Perhaps the deed was perpetrated by a different gang of elves this year. 
I like to think that someone has intentionally spared the life of a tree by not chopping it down, but decorating it in situ. Each time I drive by that decorated tree, I am cheered by its seasonal message. This splendid gift to the neighborhood has colorful hanging ornaments, draped garlands and tinsel shimmering and sparkling in the sunlight. Sunlight only lasts a few hours at this time of year, and often it is only the brief headlights of passing cars that illuminate it as people head home from town in the dark. The tree needed some lights. In recent years, decorative lights powered by small solar cells with rechargeable batteries have been available in stores. So the task that came to my mind was possible. But should I? Might the act of augmenting a work of art be seen as meddling? However, I did have a spare set of solar lights, resurrected from the box of unused festive decorations in the basement. But should I, and if so, then how and when? Stealth was required, and safe access was a problem. Prolonged parking on the side of the road is dangerous, and unless one's vehicle can drive in the ditch without getting stuck in the snow, it is not really doable. If the string of lights were wired on a lightweight star-shaped stick frame, I could drop them on the tree in seconds. That's when I thought of the old drone I'd packed away when I bought a new one. I wondered how much weight it could carry. From then on, things got complicated. There is no happy ending to this tale. Small drones are capable of lifting a string of lights on a stick star. They are also capable of making the drop from a wire hook. But what small drone batteries are not capable of is sustaining long flights in freezing temperatures during windy conditions at night. Somewhere in the forest along the river valley, there is a tree, or heaven forbid, the antlers of a deer or moose, decorated with a set of blinking solar lights attached to a dead drone. Merry Christmas, all. A nebular nativity. In the luminous expanse of the glimmering galaxy, within the celestial tapestry of the nebulae of nurturing, existed a peculiar orb named Seelstria. On this radiant sphere, bathed in the soft hues of interstellar lights, a tale unfolded that echoed the familiar strains of the nativity, albeit with a twist that would leave even the most seasoned astronomers raising an eyebrow. In Stardust Springs, a hamlet nestled at the crossroads of Comet Lane and Meteorite Boulevard, lived Nova and Cosmo an extraordinary couple, each with their own talents. Nova, a proficient astrobotanist, and Cosmo, a renowned architect. One day, a message pulsated through the quantum airwaves, announcing the imminent arrival of a being destined to bring unparalleled joy to the cosmos. Eager with anticipation, Nova and Cosmo readied themselves for the arrival of this prodigy. The calendar aligned with a rare celestial conjunction, promising a spectacle visible from every corner of Seelstria. A symphony of astral melodies played, stardust sparkled in the skies, heralding the impending miracle. Meanwhile, in a neighboring galaxy, three wise extraterrestrial beings known as the Nebula Navigators were meticulously interpreting cosmic charts and unraveling intergalactic omens. Guided by the celestial alignment, they embarked on an astral odyssey, bearing gifts of anti-gravity crystals, ethereal essences, and the legendary space maple syrup. As the nebula navigators journeyed across the currents, Nova and Cosmo found themselves in a quandary they needed a suitable haven for the impending arrival. 
In a burst of inspired creativity, Cosmo designed a nursery woven from interstellar threads, stardust bricks, and moonbeam mortar. Nova, leveraging her astrobotanical prowess, cultivated a garden of exotic flora, emitting fragrances unfathomable to the universe. The Nebula Navigator's caravan descended upon Stardust Springs, their ships creating a mesmerizing interstellar light spectacle. They presented their otherworldly gifts to the expectant couple anti-gravity crystals that hovered mid-air, ethereal essences glowing with celestial radiance, and the fabled space maple syrup promising to sweeten the journey. As the celestial convergence reached its zenith, a hushed tranquility fell upon Stardust Springs. The nursery glowed with ethereal luminescence, and the flora swayed in harmony with celestial zephyrs. At the heart of the nursery, a cradle materialized, adorned with constellations, and gently swaying in the breeze. In the serene stillness of the night, the child was born a being of pure energy and boundless potential. The interstellar lights dimmed as the newborn emitted a soft, radiant glow, painting the landscape with unseen hues. Nova and Cosmo marveled at the miracle before them, knowing that their lives were forever changed. Word of the birth spread across Seelstria like a wave. Extraterrestrial beings from distant galaxies traversed the cosmos to witness the child, bringing with them melodies, intergalactic treats, and dances that defied the laws of gravity. Under the canopy of Stardust Springs, a celebration unfolded. Extraterrestrial beings reveled in the joyous arrival of the child, dancing in anti-gravity leaps and savoring the sweetness of space maple syrup. The flora twirled in a mesmerizing dance, creating a spectacle that would be sung about in lullabies for eons. As the celebration echoed through the glimmering galaxy, Nova and Cosmo gazed upon their progeny with pride. The nebula navigators, content that their mission was complete, departed for their home galaxy, leaving behind a trail of stardust and intergalactic wisdom. In the hamlet of Stardust Springs, the tale of the nativity became a timeless legend, whispered among the winds, and immortalized in the twinkling lights of the night. The glimmering galaxy reveled in the serenity brought by the miraculous arrival of the child, leaving the universe forever enchanted by the magic of that extraordinary night. Adelaide's Christmas. All right, dear, I'll see you at New Year's. Your presents are already in the mail. Adelaide kept her voice chipper as she entered the conversation, but her tears were not as cooperative as her tone. A nearby stack of napkins, green with a pinecone pattern, kept the wrapping paper on the table in front of her from being speckled with teary polka dots. Ginny and Adam were missing Christmas for the third year in a row. Adam's sisters weren't coming home and his mom would be lonely. The kids got car sick on long drives. Ginny was needed in the church choir for the Christmas Eve service. It seemed to make Ginny feel better to have a list of reasons why they couldn't visit. Hearing a list of things more important than coming home for Christmas never made Adelaide feel any better. Well, I predicted that one, didn't I? sighed Adelaide. I put their gifts in the mail early this year. You know they never call until it would be too late to ship gifts without paying an arm and a leg to make sure they get there on time. I don't want my grandchildren thinking Grandma forgot them. I told you I was right to send them out last week. I know my children. Adelaide used the blade on a pair of kitchen scissors to cut the shimmery red ribbon for the gift she'd been wrapping when the phone rang. This one's for Mindy. Red is her favorite color, isn't it? I should have asked while I had Ginny on the phone. 
Adelaide added the present to the stack beside her. The last batch was going under the tree tonight. When the kids were little, they'd come home every day after school to see if any more presents had accumulated while they were gone. Her late husband Lewis had declared he was not hiding stacks of gifts in closets or under beds when there was a perfectly clear space available under the tree. Adelaide had worried that watching presents arrive one by one would dampen the magic of Christmas morning. It never did. It only added to the excitement. The children would drop their school bags in their rooms and run for the tree to read the tags. Another one for David. This one's for me. Is the green one mine? Is it heavy? Adelaide couldn't keep the kids from touching the presents, but annoyance gave way to delight as she heard their guesses. It is heavy. Maybe it's a jewelry box like Mom's, or a box of books, or... The guesses went on and on. Lewis and Adelaide had trouble sounding stern as they said, Put it down for now. You'll see on Christmas Day. The heavy gift in the green paper had been a jewelry box. It was Ginny's favorite present that year. Lewis had made it for her, same as he had made Adelaide's. Well, Tom hasn't called yet. That's hopeful, Adelaide said as she unrolled blue wrapping paper with silver snowflakes dancing across it. This one for David. Remember the snow fort he built when he was 15? It was the size of the shed, remember? He and his friends used it as a clubhouse, and Ginny and Tom kept trying to take it over every time he wasn't looking. Remember the fight when he caught them playing in it after school, when he'd invited Sam and Jerry over? Oh, I thought they were going to bring the fort right down on their heads and we'd never find them until spring. The phone rang. Adelaide put down the scotch tape and picked up the phone. Hello, she answered brightly. Hi, Mom. When Tom's hesitant, baritone voice reached Adelaide's ear, her heart sank. Hi, Tom. I was remembering the time David built the giant snow fort in the yard at the old house. Remember that? Yeah, that was a great winter, Tom said. Ginny called. Adelaide blurted out. She hadn't meant to say that. Tom was silent a moment. I'm sorry, Mom. We're not going to make it either. The whole family has the flu. I've got three kids throwing up and Nancy's had a fever for days now. I don't want to spread this to everyone, especially not to you. I'm not delicate, Tom. My immune system works fine, thank you very much. I know, Mom. You're the tough one in the family. Still, you don't need to be nursing us all back to health instead of celebrating. We'll come when we're well. Jenny always comes on New Year's, right? We'll do Christmas dinner then. Adelaide was quiet. You could go to David's, Tom suggested. I know, he's a workaholic. But if you stayed there over Christmas, he'd had to poke his head up from his laptop long enough for a cup of eggnog and a few carols around the tree, right? I doubt he has a tree, Adelaide said. Invite him to stay with you, then, said Tom. If you promise him he can work while he's there, I'm sure he'd come. I was... he... Adelaide started and stopped. That's a lovely thought, dear. I'll see you at New Year's. Adelaide hung up and continued wrapping the boxes on her table. Well, Louis, it's just the two of us again this year. Adelaide was speaking to a picture of her late husband, which sat beside the rolls of wrapping paper. She liked to move him around while she worked so Louis could be involved in the Christmas preparations. Adelaide wrapped the last box and added a glittery silver bow. She picked up the whole stack and carried it over to the tree. 
She placed each parcel carefully, making sure the pile of presents was a work of art. Christmas presents taken care of, Adelaide retrieved Lewis and put him in his usual chair, on the other side of the end table he'd built for her in their second year of marriage. "'I'll be back in a moment, dear,' she said. Adelaide re returned a few minutes later with a mug of cider, a plate with two cookies, and Lewis's favorite mug. Empty, of course. "'I told you I know our children,' she said, staring at the lights twinkling on the tree. She preferred a steady glow, but it was Lewis's turn to choose the lights. He always chose twinkling. "'I sent all the presents early this year,' said Adelaide, "'even Tom's. I was prepared to feel ashamed of myself for doubting him, but I did it. Now at least the grandchildren will get their presents on Christmas morning.' without me paying extra shipping like last year, and I kept a few little things for when they do come. Two years ago, Tom and Nancy came, remember? All the trouble they had with the car and the house-sitter, and he insisted they come anyway. Their kids made a mess of everything, remember? It took a week to set the house back to rights. It reminded me of when our kids were little. This Christmas will be quiet. Empty bedrooms, mostly empty presents under the tree. They look nice, though, don't you think? It looks like Christmas. And Tom will call. David said he'd call, too. Adelaide finished her cookies and cider, then sat staring at Lewis's picture. That was the last of the decorating. I'm not sure what to do with myself now. I suppose I could cook everything from New Year's ahead of time. We have a large enough freezer downstairs. That way I can focus on the kids when they're here. What do you think, Lewis? With that, she scooped up the dishes and Lewis and headed to the kitchen. Two days later, on Christmas Eve, Adelaide stood in front of Lewis's grave. I brought the usual, she said, adjusting the fresh wreath she'd looped over his headstone. It was a nice one this year, with real pine cones to complement the artificial holly berries. A golden ribbon wove its way around the wreath, ending in a floppy bow at the bottom. Adelaide was fond of bows. You might think it's a tad much, but I wanted to spoil someone this year, she said. Then she sighed. I miss them, Lewis. Tearing up again, Adelaide used one end of her flannel scarf to dry her eyes. Excuse me? Tissue? asked a timid voice behind her. Adelaide turned to see a younger woman, maybe in her thirties, standing in the snow nearby. I stuff my pockets with these every time I come here, the younger woman explained, handing Adelaide a tissue. Thank you, Adelaide said. I've been teary this season. I don't usually get like this. Christmas is hard when you've lost someone, the younger woman said, tucking a stray hair back into her toque. My husband died six months ago. It's just me and the kids this year. My dad's not well. Mom worries the travel will be too much for him. This year's been hard. I've been working non-stop to afford the basics. She paused and blew her nose. I don't even have a tree, she sobbed. Adelaide's heart broke for this young woman, this mirror image of herself. She threw her arms around the total stranger and held her close. I have a tree, Adelaide said. I've already cooked the turkey and wrapped the gifts and my kids aren't coming. Bring your kids to my house. The next day, Christmas Day, the phone rang. Adelaide answered while Christy, the young woman from the cemetery, tried in vain to quiet her children. She had four. Adelaide loved the way the children bounced around the living room while Christy chased after them. It was like having her own kids home and young again. Merry Christmas, Mom. It was Tom. 
Did David come? We can video call if he has that working for you. The kids would love to see you. David couldn't make it, said Adelaide. She turned out a shriek from behind her. Two of Christie girls were dancing around the room in reindeer antlers made from felt and pipe cleaners, making the younger brother and sister squeal with laughter. Mom, what's that noise in the background? Are you okay? Tom asked, the concern coming through the phone loud and clear. I'm fine, Tom. I have guests. The kids are tearing up the living room like you kids used to do. Don't worry, I'll have it all cleaned up by New Year's so your kids can unravel my ribbons and trample candy canes into my carpet, she teased him. I'll try to keep them from destroying the place, Tom said dryly. I'm glad you have company. I was worried you'd be alone. No need to worry about me, dear Adelaide said. I'm widowed, not friendless. I wish I'd thought of inviting someone sooner, though. I could have shopped more. The candy canes are starting to run low. I'll bring you more in a week when we come, Tom promised. We'll find the biggest box we can. Wonderful, said Adelaide. We'll stuff the children with sugar, then drag them around the neighborhood caroling. Then they'll sleep well. Adelaide missed Tom's response. One of Christie's girls overheard her plan and took it seriously. Get the candy canes and get your coats, she bellowed. We're gonna go sing Jingle Bells! And she took off for the front hallway with her sisters and brother in tow. I'll have to call you back, Tom, said Adelaide, chuckling. As soon as my company leaves, we'll sing Jingle Bells and Joy to the World on speakerphone, and the kids can tell me all about their gifts. Right now, I've got to go tromping through the snow with my guests. After Christie's children tired of caroling, Adelaide helped pack the kids, their gifts, and a few containers of leftovers into Christie's car. Adelaide watched them drive off, then returned inside, alone once again. There were cookie crumbs and sticky fingerprints everywhere. Torn pieces of wrapping paper were scattered around the living room like oversized confetti. A half-eaten candy cane hung on her tree as a newly added decoration. Adelaide smiled. It was perfect. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Between the Lines. We hope you enjoyed our discussion and were inspired to either start writing or to keep on writing. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes or guests, you can reach out to us by sending an email to randy.btlpodcast at gmail.com. Use comment or suggestion in the subject line. For a copy of the transcript of this or any other episode, just send us an email using transcript as the subject line and indicate which season and episode you would like a transcript for. Visit my website, therandylacy.ca, where you can purchase one of my books, read my blog, and yes, even hear every episode of this podcast. If you have enjoyed what you've heard and would like to hear more, click the Buy Me a Coffee button at the top right corner of the page to help cover the costs associated with keeping this show available to you. If you're ever feeling overwhelmed by the many lines in your life, take a deep breath and remember the wise words of Winnie the Pooh. Sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. Until next time, keep on keeping Between the Lines.